welcome to Doing Diversity in Writing, the podcast where we, as writers, explore the do's and don'ts of writing inclusively, whether that be in terms of race, gender, ethnicity, class, sexuality, ability, and so on. Why are we here? To bring more depth and breadth to the characters in our fiction and represent them in the best way possible. My name is Bethany Ann Tucker, and with me is my co-host, Marielle S. Smith. Let's get started. Hey, Bethany, how are you? It's raining, but I'm pretty good. It's raining. <laughs> how are you? It's really hot here, but I'm good. Shall we swap some of this weather? Because we could use some rain. I would happily give you some rain. I really, really would. Okay, I will give you some degrees. Nice. Well, actually, maybe not give this the heat because we have the rain, but it's like 90 degrees with almost 100% humidity. So maybe just swap humidity. Well, it's very humid here. It's like 86. Okay, maybe we better not mess with nature. <laughs> okay, yes. Let's, let's, let's talk about writing instead. How about that? All right, that sounds better. I'll ignore the rain. We'll talk about writing. Okay. So are we ready to discuss our next topic? Yes. So hi, everyone. This is episode seven of Doing Diversity in Writing, and we will be continuing our discussion of the most common pitfalls around representing diverse characters. Yes. So in our last episode, we talked about essentialism and affirmative myopia. And today we'll be talking about tokenism. Yes, good old tokenism. All right. Do you want to start? Yes, of course. Um, so for those who've never heard of tokenism or aren't entirely sure what it is, we wanted to share the Oxford Dictionary definition before actually diving into the topic and related to writing. I've got it right here if you want me to. Oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. All right. So according to the Oxford Online Dictionary, tokenism is the practice of making only a prefunctory or symbolic effort to do a particular thing, especially by recruiting a small number of people from underrepresented groups in order to give the appearance of sexual or racial equality within a workforce. You know what's funny? The first sample sentence, like underneath it, um, they give, the dictionary gives is actually, quote, the use of gay supporting characters is mere tokenism, end quote. I saw that. And that's true. And that is what we'll be talking about this episode. We're not going to talk about the workforce. We're going to talk about tokenism in writing. Okay. So, yeah, I don't want to talk about the workforce today. (laughs) So when I read this definition, what I hear is that tokenism is the inclusion for the sake of inclusion. It's not about actually making changes. It's about appearances. Yes, that's right. It's about appearing inclusive and open-minded and as if you care. So it's like when you select a white woman or a gay man or a black woman or a gay black man for a certain job, just so that people stop harassing you for not being inclusive. Like, let's just hire this one Muslim so people stop saying we're excluding Muslims in this particular workforce. Sorry, so we're still talking about the workforce. So translating away from the workforce, this would mean that for writers, adding a particular character to a story just so people don't accuse you from not being diverse enough. Yes. So 
can we talk about how to distinguish between who is and isn't a token? Like, how can we tell? I, I really love that you asked because it's kind of tricky, isn't it? Yeah, I think we need, really need to break this down. And I think the difficulty in understanding it is why it happens so often or why people let it slide by. It can be hard to prove. It can be really, really hard to prove. Um, so yeah, let, let's 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 see if we can break it down a little bit and make it more uh, tangible. So first, one of the first signs of tokenism, you know, what makes a token a token is they're often the only one present. Which is pretty easy to measure. You can tell that pretty quick. Yes. So it is easy to measure, but it's not the only thing that makes someone a token. It's not like, oh, there's only one character of this particular, who carries this particular identity marker in this book. So this is tokenism. That's not what, that's not how it goes. So to go back to the quality versus quantity discussion that we've had before in other episodes, when talking about how representation works, we really are focusing here on the quality that matters when deciding whether or not a single representation is tokenism or not. Yes. So like, I love that you say that because that's into, like, it can, you, you can have one character and we're going to talk about examples later on. You can have one character of a particular identity marker in your work, but that not being a token, right? But we'll talk about that later on. Another thing that makes a token a token is that, you know, if they are given a mean, giving a, a meaningful role to play, and this isn't always the case, that role is simply to be a representative of their community. It's like when, you know, on, on talk shows, and I think this is something people can relate to. The topic on the table relates to, for example, women's rights. So, you know, the people who host the talk show, they invite this woman to the table. It doesn't really matter who this woman is or what she does. It's not that relevant, right? Because she's only there to talk about the topic at hand, women, that women's rights issue. She's not really allowed to have an opinion or share her expertise on any of the other topics up for debate that night, right? Maybe she can ask a few questions to those who are invited as experts in those fields, but her expertise is reduced to her womanhood, and that's all she's allowed to share her vision on. Even if she might have an expertise in something else. Yes, yeah, so I've seen this happen a lot on TV. It's awful and it is very familiar. Yes, like it happens all the time, also with the gay community or the black community or the Muslim community. I remember a few years back, we had we have this Dutch Moroccan program maker. And at one point he was in the news because he refused to show up in certain talk shows because he was only ever invited there when there had been like another terrorist attack or there was some trouble with Muslim youth in the Netherlands. And he was done being their token Muslim, right? He, he was done being invited only to speak of things Muslim. Like he was never invited anymore to talk about like the work he did, like the television programs he created. So that is definitely tokenism. Yes. Um, and here's the thing that makes it tricky. On the surface, if you're not really digging into it, the practice doesn't seem so bad. At least they're asking a woman to say something about women's rights, which previously has not happened yes. um, and sometimes still doesn't happen in U.S. government. Or a Muslim about things that have to do with the Muslim community. They're invited to the table. They're present. They're visible. It's all good, right? Not so well, much. No, not so much. And this is also something we talked about during episode five, right? We asked the question there, is it enough to sneak in a diverse character here and there? Is that equal to us doing our bit? 
And we definitely both agreed, no, no, it's not enough. No. And that's because if we just merely add a few diverse characters to our stories, just so our writing looks inclusive, chances are the story doesn't leave any room for these characters' lived experiences and realities to be fully investigated. If we only include them to make sure a particular minority is present within our writing so that we look open-minded and progressive writers, we run the risk of reducing these characters to one-dimensional summaries of what we think their community is like and things like. Yeah, this is reminding me of Cho Chang from the Harry Potter oh. series. Oh, that's a really good example. Yeah, so this I'm not going to have any spoilers, and you've probably read the books by now. Cho Chang is a character in J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series. Um, in her slam poem, which you introduced me to, Marielle, yes. uh, Richard Rosted says in her slam poem, to J.K. Rowling's, that's the title, from Cho Chang, to J.K. Rowling's from Cho Chang, um, Rachel Rostad critically discusses the, uh, how do I say it, the stereotypical way in which the only Chinese character in the Harry Potter series is represented. And of course, Cho Chang is the only Chinese character in the series. That's a, a tokenism red flag in itself. She's the only one. Yes. But like we said, right, that's not all there is to it. There has to be more going on before we can consider something tokenism. Yes. So in this slam poem, Rosted draws, amongst other issues, attention to the fact that Cho is in Ravenclaw, or quote unquote, the nerdy house, as Rosted calls it, and that she, Cho Chang, like so many females, female Asian characters in fiction, um, before her, she cries over the white male characters more often than she actually has dialogue lines. Yes. Um, and th this is why Rosted has trouble seeing Cho as a positive role model for Asian girls. Right. So it's not just that Cho Chang is the only Chinese character in the series, right? Which doesn't have to be a problem. But she's also a flat, stereotypical character. And this is, this is what makes her a token character. And as Rostad argues, that indeed does more harm than good to the community being represented, especially since it is the only representation of Chinese womanhood or girlhood within the series. Sure, she's the only representation of Chinese anything in the series. Yes. Um, so going back to tokenism, another tell is the kind of role the character plays, whether or not it's tokenism. I remember from Nisi Shaw and Cynthia Ward's writing The Other, which we've quoted from before. Um, yeah. If you haven't read it yet, go look it up. That <laughs> <No> token... <laughs> Token characters are often cast as sidekicks and um, what Shaw and Ward uh, called, quote unquote, bit players. Yeah, so like you, in, in, you see that they're often like the gay or the black best friend, right? You have to see that. Uh, um, I'm immediately thinking of Clueless. Okay, I haven't seen that. Alicia Silverstone. Okay, that's like, that was, that's the, when I read that, um, that part in Nisha Shaw and Cynthia Ward, I was just like, yeah, Clueless. So what happens is that the main character, you know, whether they're male or female, they are part of the dominant category in that they're white and they're heterosexual, but this mere presence of their best friend proves that they are open-minded and in touch with the world around them, right? Because they have this black best friend or they have a gay best friend or they have both. Um, so of course the best friend story doesn't truly matter to the plot, right? And they also don't really grow within the confines of the plot. A lot of times, no. Um... I am happy to say that I've seen less of this lately, oh, yeah. but I've also seen quite a lot of it. So while I'm yeah. saying we're getting better, we still got a problem. Yeah. yeah, but we are definitely, let's acknowledge that as well. We are getting better because I think 
we have been um, this criticism is not new. No, it's not. So things have definitely already been good. But yeah, it's not an uncommon practice. No. Yeah. Uh, and in literature, we look backwards. So we have to address yes. what's informing the now yes. is the previous. Yes, always. Yeah. So, so uh, Shaw and, and Ward, they also mentioned bit players. Mm-hmm. Um, so for them, it's when the diverse characters that you include are only allowed to play roles that don't necessarily push the story along, right? Yeah. So I, I think, um, if I remember correctly, Shaw and Ward used the example of cops or bodyguards. Yeah, they did. So if they're not the main character's sidekick, which is like a secondary role often, this is often the only option for their first characters. So they could be waitresses, tellers at a bank, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And if they do get to play a more significant role, uh, this is another co- uh, comment that Shaw and Ward make, is that they're often killed before the story is well on its way. Um, so to sum that up, like these are all replaceable characters who don't add anything meaningful to any arc, whether the story's arc or the, or the arc of the main character. They just here to do their bit, hence bit player. Yep. And then they're they and then they can go. Yeah. So if that's present, it can lead back to tokenism. And again, some of this is getting better, some of it's definitely it's still present. Um yeah. Rashid brings up the issue in her slam poem as well. There are about five explicit people of color in the Harry Potter series. They are all minor characters. It wouldn't change anything if they were replaced by other characters or if they were replaced by white characters, wouldn't change anything. No, it wouldn't. And and that is a huge tokenism tell or a red flag, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the next logical question is, how can we do better as writers? If that's this is one of the pitfalls, how can we do better? Is there anyone who's doing it right? And um, who can we learn from or what should we walk away from with this? Well, you know, I have an example. So well, I, I'm, I'm throwing the gate open. Take us out. What do, what do you got? I think you're talking about Cassandra Clare, to be honest. Yes, I am. And I, I mean, you see my face. Other people are not seeing my face. <laughs> you got <laughs> this is For everyone who can't see Marielle's face, she has this big smile because I know she wants to talk about Cassandra Clare. Yes. And so this is also nerd alert. Um, so, um, yeah, because Cassandra Clare, like, I can say certain things about her writing, as in her writing, writing, but her storytelling, I mean, her work is one of the best examples I've come across when it comes to doing diversity right. So yeah, I, I think it's probably one of the main reasons why I'm such a fan. Like, and, and whenever, and every time she has a new book out and I'm really um, kind of sad that this, this series, because I'm, I'm only invested in one of her series. I actually have not read any of her other work. I'm, I'm, I've, I'm a huge fan of her Shadowhunter series and I'm waiting for the last book. I think she's writing it right now. And that's that she says it's going to be the last book of the entire world. So that's going to be hard. Um, But yeah, every time she has a new book is coming out, I'm kind of like, okay, what, what is she going to tear apart now? Right? Like, what is she going to turn on his head now? (laughs) Like I'm, I'm really excited about that. So um. So you, you don't know Cassandra Clare, right? Like you have never read anything by her. I have one of her books on my shelf and it is in my to-be-read pile, mostly because of you. Um, yeah. Which one? So, Which one? Oh, let me see. Like, I, I mean, I just moved. I just threw books on my shelf, so I can't grab a book. It has a green cover, but a thousand books have a green cover. 
that doesn't um, mean you know, there's so many different covers out there yeah no i okay. will tell you later but we should we probably will, yes so, yes we will talk about this shadow yeah yes she's yes. a shadow hunter series writer but she has other things what else do people know about need to know about her before we go on um well let's just talk about let's focus on the shadow hunter series because i cannot say anything about the other worlds that she has created um so in this particular series um, and it's made up of multiple trilogies and they're set in different eras. So do let me know which book you have and I will let you know whether you can read it yet or whether you need to read something else first. But we meet, I told you it's nerd alert. We yes. meet a vast array of characters in this world, right? People of all colors, people of all sexualities and genders, people of all cultural backgrounds. Like it's it's a huge world and they all, they all visit, right? They're okay. all in there. All right, give us some examples. Um, well, I, I'm just going to focus on why I think she's doing it right, right? Okay. The, the, why she's not doing tokenism, because you, it's not that hard to have a vast array of characters in your work, right? But it's it's what you do with these characters. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like she has a large enough world that it's logical for a vast array of characters to show up. She didn't, like, set this in a small town somewhere is what I'm getting at no 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 it's it's like it's it's the it's the whole world over uh um it, it's not set but there's people who are coming from all over the world yeah so that already makes sense but for me what claire does right on top of that or maybe not right but better in my opinion is that also some of her main characters and claire uses multiple points of view in her work uh, belong to minority communities so there is a heterosexual guy with Chinese roots uh, who battles addiction. There is a white gay guy. There is a bisexual guy who is of Indonesian descent and he's also part demon. Um, it's a white heterosexual Jewish guy. There's a heterosexual biracial girl. There's a Hispanic heterosexual girl. There's a white heterosexual servant girl. And that's important because the shadow hunters themselves, they're upper class. Okay. Um, there is a black transgender woman. There is a neurodivergent character. There are characters who fall in love with two other characters at the same time and so on. So she's really trying to tackle all of these issues. It's a pretty diverse set of characters. Yeah. So what I like about it so much is that they are all individuals in their own right. So they are complex characters with conflicting desires and interests who aren't reduced to their identity markers. And of course, them being main characters, or a lot of them being main characters as well, it means that they all play a significant part within the series. They all contribute to the plot. Okay, so exactly how did she do this? Um, this doesn't sound like a utopian world since you're saying demons and shadow hunters. <laughs> no, no. Um, it is a world in which difference because it, it would be easy to do this if it's like in some kind of progressive world, right? But difference is actually very important in the shadow hunter world. Um, and it's not as if these characters don't have their struggles because of their differences. They struggle with these things, but they are not reduced to that struggle. It's simply one of the things they have to deal with amongst all the other things that they're dealing with on a daily basis. So this sounds really real. So it's, part and parcel to who they are and just yeah. part of who they are. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. It's like, it is an important part of them. So it's not ignored, but at the same time, it's not all that they are. It's not their main struggle. And this is an issue sometimes with tokens, right? Yeah. They're only there to play that part. So, so yeah, go ahead. So someone's not 
Indonesian just to be Indonesian. He's a shadow hunter who happens to be Indonesian. Well, he's actually uh, uh, not a shadow hunter, but that's not the point. My uh, bad, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, this is I why you need to books. read it. Yeah, that's just why you need to read it. Yeah, I but will. it's yeah, yeah. So he's not like. Um, it doesn't feel like he's Indonesian just because she needed like some Asian character, okay. right? So, so to give an example uh, of on how she does this and why I think the balance is 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 great, like between it is part of who you are, but it's also not just who you are. Um, as I said, the shadow hunter community is not that progressive. Um, so being gay is like one of the worst offenses, right? Like even in the books that are set in the early 2000s, it's like it's it's not spoken of, right? They are really a very conservative bunch, these shadow hunters. And that's exactly what Cassandra Clare tackles in this series. And it's actually, I like it because it enables her to introduce, it's, it's a YA series. So she introduces a... Um, a generation that's like we're not having this because we see how things can be different in the world around us and we're just done right so that's because she made them so conservative she also created the tension and the, the opportunity to discuss so many issues uh, that are at stake right and that's just so, it, storytelling it is that is take it so in good, yeah so alexander lightwood he is a gay shadow hunter. Um, so it's only natural for him that his sexuality plays a part within the series because he's, you know, he, he's growing up in a world where being gay is not allowed. Like it's not spoken of. But Alec never becomes just his sexuality. Sure, he's gay, right? And that shapes him and it shapes how he relates to the world around him and the choices, certain choices he makes, not all of them, but certain choices that he makes. But he's also like a caring big brother. He's a very loyal son. He's a skilled fighter who excels with a bow and arrow. He's extremely smart. He's very highly educated. And next to that, he also isn't some flamboyant caricature, right? If anything, his lack of interest in his outside appearance, that's what makes him the worst dressed person in the entire series. <laughs> highly educated, worst best. Yeah. He sounds like a character I'd be interested in reading. So Claire is actively undermining certain stereotypes in her writing of characters in this series. Is that, a, that's what I'm hearing. That, yes, very much so. Um, and like I said, I think that's one of the reasons why I love this series so much um, because Cassandra Clare actually seems actually invested, you know, in the writing of their first characters and turning some of those well-known stereotypes on their head. Like she's actively playing with that. And, and for me, so that's not, that's not inclusion for the sake of inclusion. Um, Especially because it's so clear that, you know, from the equality issues that she brings up, like she touches upon gay rights, she, she talks about racism, interracial relations, polyamory, bisexual invisibility, class issues, transgender rights. You know, what's, what, what's it like to be neurodivergent in a world that doesn't deal well with any kind of difference? So what I'm hearing is it's baked into the plot. It's not just like this shows up on the stage for a minute. But yeah. these things, these tensions, they're baked into the plot, even when the story isn't just about this issue. Yes, it's, it's, it's really part of the story. It's yeah. not just to add color. And I'm yeah. doing quotation mark to the story. It's really part of this entire world. 
So it can be done. This not tokenizing characters and having them present, it really can be done. That's, that's what I'm hearing you say about the series. Yes, it can be done. Like with the right amount of research, it can absolutely be done. And and most of her diverse characters, um, so to talk about that red flag, they also aren't the only ones there. Like there are multiple gay and lesbian characters. Uh, some are more main, some are more minor characters. And the same goes for the characters dealing with polyamorous feelings. Uh, that happens in two eras, actually. Um, spoiler alert. There are also multiple characters with a similar racial or um, ethnic background. There is only one transgender character, however, as well as a neurodivergent character, but the way she's written them makes them anything but tokens. Okay, because like with this Alexander Lightwood, I got his name right? Yes. Um, character you talked about, he's allowed to be more than his sexuality, so the neurodivergent character and the transgender character are also allowed to be more than those identities. They're allowed to be all of their identities. Yes, and so to talk about the transgender shadow hunter, um, the reader actually only learns that she's transgender very late in the story. Like we've known her for a couple of books by then. So we've seen her in different jobs. We've seen her in different positions in society. We already know her personality. And it's only then that she tells those she trusts that she's trans transgender. So the story is not, like at one point it becomes an issue. And yeah. then she tells those she trusts but she's not in the story to be a transgender character. That's not what she's there for. Got it. So to pull some ties together from the different things we've talked about and examples, I think um, there's a really good point to stress here. So going back to Cho Chang, the issue wasn't that Cho Chang was the only character, the only Chinese character in the series per se, um, but she can be considered a token because in her being the only Chinese character, she reduced to a stereotypical version of a Chinese woman. She didn't have a story of her own. Yes. And likewise, this is something we, we might need to add as well. You can add a whole set of characters from the same community. So add multiple characters from the same community. But if they're all more or less the same and they don't contribute to the plot beyond their, you know, beyond just being their identity marker, uh, if they even get to contribute to the plot at all, that's still tokenism, right? It's really about the depth and complexity that a character is allowed to bring with them beyond whatever identity markers they might carry. Yeah, let them be human and a person as well as their identity. Um, right, so do you wanna sum it all up? Because we've covered a lot in this episode and the last one as we covered pitfalls. Um, you wanna sum up the pitfalls? I don't hear you anymore. Okay, can you hear me now? All right, so we had some internet connections, um, but I think we're back now. And we're gonna try to do what I was talking about earlier, which is sum up some points. So do you wanna take us away? Yes, um, because we've been talking about these three pitfalls and we have some action points. Um, um, do you want me to start? Yeah, go ahead. I'm, I, I'm also getting back into, we have, we have internet again. Okay, so first action point. In short, some of the things to keep in mind if you're looking to avoid any of the three pitfalls that we've mentioned over the past two uh, episodes. First action point, investigate ongoing stereotypes and go against them when possible. If we take a little time to research ongoing stereotypes, Google is your friend. We can make sure not to perpetuate these often harmful cliches which are often based on essentialist thinking. 
actively going against such stereotypes, for instance, by making one of your gay characters into a young man who never ever worries about his looks like Cassandra Clare did, will help us create diverse characters who will counter existing representations and who might actually prove to be positive role models for a more diverse readership. Okay, that's a good one. Um, so the one I have here is to research your character's background to prevent the flat tokens. So proper research into the character's culture, their the history, the political background they come from, that will all go a really long way to creating a more rounded character because you're going to have a lot more to work with than a stereotype yeah. and develop that background and that will help you be a better writer. Um, we really should make sure to give our characters proper names, jobs that make sense, but just not a stereotype all the time, um, worldviews that would come naturally to them, real friendships that are in line with their personal histories, friendships that would make sense considering where they come from, the choices they've made, and where they're living. Yeah. Um, so third action point, um, do acknowledge struggles but without turning them into a character's biggest problem. On the one hand, adding minority characters only to reduce them to their identity marker and the struggle that comes with it, that leads to tokenism, as we've just discussed. But on the other hand, adding minority characters without any kind of acknowledgement of where they are coming from and what they might be struggling with because of their identity markers could be interpreted as glossing over or ignoring a people's past and present struggles. And this is also something that we've touched upon during episode five, I think, when we were talking about Bridgerton. So finding the right balance, like Sandra Clare did with the character of uh, Alexander Lightwood, who did struggle because he was gay, but his character arc wasn't reduced to that struggle, that is key to providing well-rounded, uh, realistic characters. Yep. All right. So here's another one, um, and we've kind of covered it, but it's worth making it a point in its own allow characters to be individuals in their own right. If we keep in mind that all characters, no matter how similar their backgrounds are, they're, they're individuals. Just like if you have a family, you all grew up in the same town, you all have really different personalities. If yes. we can remember that and just bring some of that reality um, to our character writing, we'll avoid the traps of turning these characters into spokespersons for their entire community. Um, so even if you only have one character from a particular minority identity or community in your work, allowing them space to be their own person beyond their identity marker, that goes a long way in making sure they don't become tokens and in actually showing the diversity that was, exists within each and every community. Yes. And last one, uh, and yeah, we already talked about this as well, but I think this really helps to just think through this give your characters meaningful roles. Like one of the easiest way to prevent tokenism, especially is by giving our characters meaningful roles that help push the story along. Like even if the only diverse characters you have are minor characters, it is still possible to give them roles that work with their character and help the story forward. So of course, uh, that's a lot, but that's it for today. Yes. <laughs> and, um, as you must be used to by now, uh, we have a checklist, a specific checklist for tokenism. And you can find that in our blog or if you've subscribed, I don't know why I have trouble with that word, subscribed to our newsletter, it'll arrive in your inbox. Yes, it will. And we will talk to you again next week about diversity within diversity. Yes, I mean, we've already touched on it, but we really need yeah. to jump into that more.
All right. Looking forward to it. I'll see you then. Before it's time to check for commas and iron out passive voice, fiction writers need to know that their story is strong. Are your beta readers not finishing? Do they have multiple conflicting complaints? When you ask them questions about your story, do they give lukewarm responses? If yes, you may need to refine your story structure. In editing your novel structure, tips, tricks, and checklists to get you from start to finish, Bethany walks you through the process of assessing your novel, from characters to pacing with lots of compassion and a generous dash of humor. In easy to follow directions and using adaptable strategies, this handbook shows you how to check your story for plot holes, settle timeline confusion, snap character arcs into place, and more. Find it on Amazon, Kobo, or Barnes & Noble, or follow the link in the show notes to get yourself a copy now. Thank you for listening. Music for this show was written and produced by Eric Mills. If you want to join the conversation, fill out our write and read a questionnaires. Both can be found in the show notes and on our website, representationmatters.art. That's dot A-R-T. If you want to be the first to hear when a new episode comes out, sign up to our newsletter. And if you found this helpful, please rate and review on your favorite podcast app to help other writers find us too.